Let's take the Word of God and turn to the book of Acts in chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, we're going to stand up in just a moment when I, when I say here in just a moment, but I, I do want to give us a summary of this chapter because Paul is still in Ephesus and he is, his work in Ephesus is an extended work. Compared to many of the other cities where he went to, he seems to have remained in Ephesus for a long time, uh, years we're talking about. We know that in Thessalonica it was three weeks at least, but here is uh, years, two years. We know we read early on in Acts 19 about two years in the school of Tyrannius and uh, persuading the people there. But as we look at the work in Ephesus in Acts 19, in the first ten verses which we already studied, we talked about the Word of God and its scope of influence. We get to verse 10 and we see that all those who dwelt in Asia, that would be Asia Minor, it covers a, a broad area, the Bible says they heard the Word of the Lord Jesus. Now that is in a time when they didn't have the Internet, when they didn't have the um, online avenues that today the Word of God can be broadcasted that everybody in Asia heard the Word of God. So it tells us a little bit about the work of God and what they engaged in. If all of Asia heard the Word of God, we are assuming that the Word of God was delivered. Right? Isn't that a common sense assumption? And so I asked, what are we doing today? Are we delivering the Word of God? If we are not delivering the Word of God, it can be assured that it will not be heard. Now, I know that may seem trivial, but it's important. So we saw the Word of God in its scope of influence, but then we studied from verse 11 to verse 20, and we saw the Word of God and its power to prevail. If you remember in Ephesus, uh, there were Jews who were exorcists and who basically did what they did to make money. They uh, said, uh, they proclaimed that they had some connection to the spirit world, and we know that they went into uh, the house of one individual, and they were not able to cast out the evil spirit out of the man, and uh, that man with the evil spirit leaped on them and vanquished them, and they ran out of the house. Uh, seven of them, by the way. And the result of that in verse 20 is so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And in point of emphasis here, there were great miracles going on by the hand of, of Paul. It was the power of God, but the hand of Paul that was doing the miracles. And notice the result of that is not everybody saying, wow, look at the miracles, look at the miracles. People were saying, wow, look at the word of God. And we're not seeking for miracles today or special happenings. Think about the importance of the word of God. If the result of that is a, a greater awareness to the Word of God and its power to prevail. And I believe, I hope you do today, that the Word of God has power to prevail. It does. Now we come here to the remainder of the chapter in Acts 19. We're going to begin reading in verse 21. But before we begin, notice verse 21. The first part says, After these things were ended. Now what things? Well, the whole idea of the men who tried, the, who were exorcists, who tried to cast out the evil spirit out of the man. And then people came from Ephesus and they burned their books. They burned their curious arts and they did so in a public fashion. 
So after these things were ended, now we continue, we have this in mind of already what's going on in Ephesus, and we begin reading in verse 21. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. And this might be a little lengthy, so if you cannot stand, I would encourage you to sit down, that's fine. But if you can and are able to stand out of respect and reverence for the Word of God, we're going to begin reading in verse 21. The Bible says, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit... When he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that then ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. What way? Paul's way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger, but uh, in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath, and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not, wherefore they were come together. Uh, Mob rule, that's what happens. They don't even know why they're there. They're just angry. That's the world. We've seen that happen, by the way, just over the last two years. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess." Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any, any man, the law is open, and there are deputies, let them implead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. There's an idea. <laughs> for we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse, And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. I'd like to uh, bring your attention here to verse 26. 
Now this is not the words of Paul, this is the words of Demetrius. He is talking to the craftsmen that were engaged in putting together those shrines to the goddess Diana. And he says, This Paul, in the middle of the verse, This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people. And to that I say, Amen. That's not what Paul says. It's not what God says. It's what Demetrius said about what Paul was doing and the consequences of what Paul was doing. So I'd like to preach this morning on persuaded and turned away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning uh, for your word. Lord, help us to be stirred up about the great work that you desire to do in this world. May we be part of it as co-laborers together with you. Lord, speak to us and help us to uh, understand some things in this passage that might equip us and help us as we seek to do your work more effectively. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we would say, compared to many of the other cities that Paul had been preaching, we know here that uh, Paul's ministry in Ephesus had been extended. In many other cities, he had been uh, driven out, he had been kicked out, he had been stoned to death, there was riots against him. And here, Ephesus, he had been there for quite some time. Uh, We know that at least three years, it seems that we've read thus far, And now we find in Ephesus beginning an uproar against the Apostle Paul. It seems that often Paul would end up leaving when there was an uproar against him or against the preaching of the gospel. But I'm reminded of a statement that Paul, when he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said this about Ephesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8. He says, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. So Paul wrote, the letter to the church at Corinth, when he was at Ephesus. And he said this, when he was in Ephesus, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. And so when Paul, if you had asked Paul, what's going on in Ephesus? Paul would say this, There's a great and effectual door open to me, but there's many adversaries. And we could say that this summarizes the work of the Apostle Paul in his missionary journeys that God would open door after door after door, but those doors being open did not mean that there would be no adversaries. And we have to understand today that as we serve God, that yes, God is going to open doors and do a wonderful work, as He always does, but we also have to understand that there are going to be adversaries to the work of God. The devil is actively working against God and against the work of God. And often that may come as an attack on a congregation or on on individuals, but nonetheless we have an adversary who is actively working today. This is manifested here in what we just read. Now I'm not going to read again through all of the verses, but I want to kind of look at the summary of what was happening there and trying to see here, uh, how, how did this happen and how does the devil become the adversary of the work of God? And what, I, what we will learn here is that it doesn't always happen where the work of God says, well, you need to uh, stop preaching the gospel. We are representative of, uh, representatives of the devil and we're here. That, it doesn't happen that way. Here we find that this happened quite subtly at the first. And so we see as we look in our text, we begin to see the stir of one man, Demetrius. Now, believe it or not, what happens when this 
whole assembly of people gathers at a theater, and I'll talk about what the theater was here in just a moment, really began in the heart of one man, and that is Demetrius. And although there are many people who were confused in the city, one man stands as the author, but I wanna, I'm interested in what caused the stir in this one man, and how did it take off from there? What was the stir over? Well, verse 26, as I mentioned here in the title of the message, that when uh, Demetrius is talking about what is going on in, in Ephesus, he says that this Paul, in verse 26, hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. And so well, evidently, Demetrius is upset about what Paul is doing. Now, I, I'm asking here, what is Paul, what has Paul done that causes such a stir? Uh, it's interesting to me that when we think about people, when they turn to Christ or they get saved and their life changes, it often causes a stir in other people. Often you will find that stir with family members. You think about someone who uh, was uh, living a life uh, of rebellion against God, somebody who uh, was, uh, we could say, was involved in all kinds of evil behavior, and then they get saved, and then they start living for God, and then their family members look at them and says, uh, they get all upset about it. And it's like, well, why are you upset? They're getting their life turned around. Well, it's what happens here. Demetrius is upset because people have been persuaded and they've turned from what? From worshiping the goddess Diana. And he's all upset. But I'm interested in why was he so upset? Why, why, what would be upsetting? Well, let's look first of all the reasons given by Demetrius himself. We don't have to wonder what stirred him up. The reasons are right there in the scriptures. Notice the first reason, if you read verse 24 and 25, is that He's upset by the preaching of Paul. Why? Because based upon Paul's preaching, over time, his wealth were, would dissipate. Notice verse 24. And a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. So notice here. Demetrius, who is a silversmith, so he owns silver, he has craftsmen. So I'm not sure what the dynamic was, but he was perhaps the supplier or over the craftsmen. And evidently there was a, you could look at it today as kind of a union. Uh, uh, Demetrius seemed to be the union boss and all the craftsmen were under the union boss. He provided all the silver and a job for all of the craftsmen and they would uh, craft shrines to the goddess Diana uh, for the temple Diana, which was located in Ephesus. And so he says here that, we have made much money over this job, over this, uh, this, uh, this business. He says in verse 25, whom he called together, so he called together the craftsmen with the workmen of like occupation and says, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. So there it is. Why is Demetrius so stirred up that Paul is preaching the gospel in Ephesus? He is so stirred up because evidently the preaching of Paul has so affected the people that people would stop buying those shrines. And because people would stop buying those shrines, therefore their wealth would dissipate. So what is Demetrius motivated by? He is motivated by wealth. 
He is motivated by gain. He wants to become more wealthy, not less wealthy, even if it means the betterment of a society. He is not interested in people stopping to worshiping God. And so I think that we could say this, that if the preaching of Paul caused people to buy more shrines, he would have been okay with the preaching of Paul. But because it caused the people to buy less shrines, he was upset. Why? Because their wealth would dissipate. He also mentions, if you read verse 26 and 27, he is upset because evidently, if the preaching of Paul was successful, then their trade would eventually disappear. Notice verse 26. Moreover, ye see and hear that none alone in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger, to be set at naught. Evidently, they had a great business going on. And they say it's not just in Ephesus, but all Asia. Now remember, we read in verse 10 of the same chapter that all of Asia heard the word of God. And so the, the word of God was having such an influence on the people that Demetrius thought to himself, if he keeps making inroads and the preaching of the gospel keeps making inroads, then our trade itself is going to disappear. It's going to be gone. And there's going to be no livelihood for us. So their wealth would dissipate, their trade would disappear, but also their worship would discontinue. Notice verse 27, the second part, he says, But also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. So notice here, this business that they had was a worldwide business. People would come from around the world, to worship at the temple of Diana. And evidently they would go buy, those, uh, buy from those craftsmen and from those tradesmen those silver shrines that would often be given in the temple of Diana. And often they would take back some of those shrines with them as a souvenir or as a way to remember the great goddess Diana that was located in Ephesus. So this is, uh, understand here, uh, what they're stirred up about here is not the worship of Diana. It's their wealth. It's their livelihood. It's their money that they are stirred over. Now when we think about those shrines here, uh, we say, well, what, was, what were exactly were those shrines? Well, uh, one uh, historian says that those shrines would be purchased by devotees and by worshipers of the goddess and by strangers who would be desirous of possessing a representation of one of the seven wonders of the world. As I mentioned, I think last week or the week before, that the Temple Diana was, in the ancient world was one of the seven wonders of the world. The great number of persons that came to Ephesus for her worship would constitute an ample sale for productions of this kind and make the manufacture of them a profitable employment. This was a great business and evidently Demetrius not only was engaged in this business but had many people and so he begins by stirring the people that are going to be affected by their their wealth is going to be affected and so that by the way this stirring happened because of this people were interested in their pocketbook their wealth and their money but I would like to look at the reverse side of this and this is really what I'm interested in because as I mentioned here this is not God giving us a summary of the impact of Paul. It's not Paul himself 
uh, saying in retrospect, that's what happened in Ephesus. This is Demetrius, an unsaved man, who talks about the impact of the gospel. So notice here, I think here we see, based on verse 26, that the preaching of God's word was sufficient to persuade. Do you notice verse 26? Demetrius says, This Paul hath persuaded. Now the word to persuade means to convince. Well, what did Paul do to convince the people? Well, evidently, you've read with me, we've studied over, we've studied all throughout the book of Acts. What did they do that was so spectacular that caused people to change their life? What was their message? Did they have something that was specific then that we do not have now? What is it that they had their hands on that made such a difference? They preached Jesus Christ. You say, no, there's got to be something more than that. No. They persuaded the people through preaching the Word of God. Remember verse 10? All Asia, what? Heard the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20, so mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. Do you believe that the Word of God can prevail today? I believe it can. And so here, evidently, Demetrius said here, he testifies to this impact because the people have been persuaded. They've been convinced. You see, the people had been convinced that that Diana was no goddess at all. How would people, how could people arrive to such a conclusion? I'll tell you how. By the preaching of the Word of God. That's how they arrived at that conclusion. Uh, Notice, he says in, at the end of verse 27, or ver, at the end of verse 26, this is what Paul has been saying, that they be no gods which are made with hands. Now that's a logical statement, right? In other words, if, if there's a God that you worship and you have to make him, then perhaps that's no God at all. I gave the illustration of a preacher who was writing, I think he was going to the Philippines or back from the Philippines, and a woman had a shrine and she put the shrine right on the seat next to her, and she buckled the shrine in. And the preacher said, why, why, who is this? And she said, well, this is, uh, she called the name, and this was her God. And he said, well, why will you buckle, buckle him in? And, and she said, well, because I don't want anything to happen to him. Think about it. You're protecting your own God? Should it be the reverse? But evidently, the people here were so consumed with idolatry, but Demetrius says himself that the word of God was sufficient to persuade and convince the people. But not only to persuade the people, but he himself says, Demetrius, the preaching of God's word was sufficient to turn them away. Do you notice that? This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people. Now, I'd like to add something that Demetrius does not know. I'd like to say instead of this, Paul hath persuaded. I'm not changing the word of God. I'm just giving you what Demetrius doesn't know. I would say this Jesus hath persuaded and turned away people. Why? Because that's what Paul preached. He preached Jesus Christ. That through Christ you can get the remission of sins. That Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who came to redeem them of their sin. And so I'm interested here because here we have to ask, what are we dependent on today to persuade the people around us in the world? What is it that we need to do? What is it that we need to be engaged in to convince it's a society that is a godless society? And I say it is by the word of God that we must do it. The word of God is sufficient to persuade and to convince And the word of God is sufficient to turn people away. 
Now they turned people away. You see, the people had been turned away from their worship of Diana. When the word of God was preached, there was a significant change in their lives of those who had accepted the preaching, think about it, to change the economic environment of an entire city. That's the impact of the Word of God. Why? Because a whole business would disappear as the result of the preaching of God's Word. And by the way, you study uh, church history, it's interesting to see that many times when revival breaks out, broke out, uh, bars were completely closed down. Why? Because nobody attended there and nobody went there anymore. Why? Because a great moving of God took place. The Word of God was preached and everybody stopped those things. There was no business to be had anymore. Why? Because people were persuaded and they turn away from those things. That is what an unsaved man said. I think that's convincing for us who are saved to think of ourselves. What does the world expect of those who claim Christ? I think that the world expects that there be a turning away. It seems to me that we are increasingly living in the midst of a Christianity that is not interested anymore in turning away from anything that is uh, willing to embrace all the things that in the world, all the things that the world has to offer, even the uh, an, uh, immoral lifestyle. Why? Because that's what the world gives. And so therefore, uh, they're unwilling to turn away anymore. How can people be persuaded today? How can people turn from a life of ungodliness? And it's evident here it is through the power of God's Word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. You see... I want you to think about this here. The temple of Diana today still lies in ruins. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached around the world and is still changing lives today. You could go today to the residues of the temple of Diana in Turkey today. It's dead. There's nothing there. Nobody worshiping. By the way, nobody buying shrines to the goddess Diana. But the gospel is being preached in Turkey today. So we see the stir of Demetrius, but then we see in our text the confusion of the city. So this is most interesting. As you look at the text here, from basically from verse 28 through verse 34, you find the stirring going on where uh, the people are wrathful. Obviously that's Demetrius and the craftsmen. They're full of wrath in verse 28. And they begin to chant, Great is Diana of Ephesus, of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And you can see them after they, they go, come out of that meeting and they go out in the streets and they're criticizing, we know they're criticizing Paul because they catch two men who were involved in serving with Paul. Uh, the Bible mentions in, in verse, um, notice verse 29, they caught Gaius and Aristarchus. Now those are two faithful men. They're mentioned elsewhere in the scriptures. I'm not going to go there for sake of time because we're preaching here through this chapter. But both faithful men who served with Paul in Ephesus, they caught them. So no doubt, uh, the stirring was not just them saying, great is the goddess Diana uh, of the Ephesians. But as they're chanting in the streets, they see two men, Gaius and Aristarchus. Now, it's interesting to me that the Bible would point that out because it seems clear that people would know that Gaius and Aristarchus were believers of the way that Paul taught. In other words, in the society of Ephesians, the people were able to differentiate between those who were believers and those who were not. I wonder in our lives, 
if people can differentiate us. If there was a stirring today in Wilmington, Delaware, and people would start uh, chanting through the streets, saying, we don't want the gospel to be preached anymore in Wilmington. We don't want those, uh, this uh, First Day Baptist Church anymore. And then uh, you were standing on a street corner and they were passing by. Would they identify you as a Christian? Or have you lived your life in such a way that they can't identify you and separate you from themselves? Gaius and Aristarchus were evidently minding their own business, and the Bible says they were caught. They were caught. So they bring both Gaius and Aristarchus to this theater. Now, what is uh, this theater? Well, a Greek, the Greek theaters, there were many theaters at that time, but basically there were a, a vast, unroofed enclosure, basically. It would be elevated on the side, but no roofs over it. Uh, kind of like a, if you think about a, not like it, but a, a, a baseball stadium, a football stadium, kind of encircled. It was a, a, in a semi-circular form, and there would be t- uh, uh, tiers of stone seats where people would sit down and they would be raised. And um, people would enter from, from the sides, and it was kind of a theater. There would be a, a, a platform uh, on this side, and then a semicircle, kind of like you would see today, a, a theater. And it was kind of an open air. And so they all congregate. There's the stir of the people, and they bring both Gaius and Aristarchus in the midst of this theater. And, and so Paul, evidently, he heard about it, and so he, he tries to go into the theater, and he is stopped. Uh, verse um, 30 says, The disciples suffered him not. So they didn't want him to go in there. Why? Well, I think they're aware that what happens when you have a mob rule mentality, anything could happen. And by the way, out of anyone, Paul knows that. He's been on the negative receiving side of those mobs before. Not only that in verse 31, that certain of the chief of Asia. So some of the people in authority, evidently, told Paul even not to go in there. They were afraid for his life. Uh, The Bible says they were his friends. And so Paul having ministered in Ephesus for two to three years there, had some contacts with people who were chief and high in authority, who had positions in government, and they told him, don't adventure yourself in the theater. And evidently, they not, had not only been chanting about, uh, great is Diana of the Ephesians, they probably chanting like, let's find Paul. <laughs> and they only found Gaius and Aristarchus. Well, Verse 32 says, Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And so we say, well, what were they confused about? Well, I think they all had an agreement on one thing. They wanted Paul's ministry to stop. Now I think... What was the confusion about? As you read the text, it seems evident that there, are, there were some people who were Jews who wanted the preaching to stop. But there are other people who were Gentiles, who were, you could say, interested in wealth. They wanted the preaching to stop for monetary reasons. They just wanted the preaching to stop for religious reasons. And so the confusion is they're all opposing Paul, but they're all disagreeing about what's going on. Now, the reason why I say that is notice what happens in verse 33. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. So notice here, it didn't start with the Jews, but now we got Jews in this congregation, in this theater. So what happened? So here's what happened. Demetrius stirred up the craftsmen. They start taking to the city. They're preaching. They're, they're standing against Paul. They want his ministry to stop. And the Jews are like, we agree with that. 
And so they get all stirred up. Now, they, they don't maybe know what prompted this at the beginning, uh, but they're, they're, they're agreeing that they want the preaching to stop. And so here a Jew stands up, Alexander. He was put forward by the Jew. Probably Alexander didn't, didn't want to go, but he, they, he, the Bible says they put him forward to say something. And Alexander beckoned with his hands, so he waved his arms like I do sometimes, and would have made his defense unto the people. And when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So what happens here? Okay. It was prompted by Demetrius and the craftsmen. Along the way, the Jews thought to themselves, let's get in on this because we want Paul to get out of here. And so Alexander stands up as a Jew and he wants Paul to be condemned, Gaius and, and Aristarchus to be driven out of the city or punished somehow. And then the, the, the Gentiles in the city, the Ephesians who are not Jews say, you're a Jew, you don't like Diana worship either. And so now they're, they're getting stirred up against Alexander because the Jews have been preached. They, preach uh, they preach against idolatry. Uh, uh, we know that Alexander would be uh, a Jew. And so when they recognize that all with one voice about the space of, of, of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And so basically Alexander agreed with them that he wanted Paul's ministry to stop, but he didn't agree with them that Diana should be worshipped. And so then they turn against Alexander. And they say, great is Diana. Well, they're, they're all confused. So, they're chanting again, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And so we see the stir of Demetrius, the confusion of the city. Uh, by the way, at the end of verse 13, it says, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. What is he saying? He says, a lot of people, they didn't know why they were there. Like, what was the, the reason things started? They were happy to get on the bandwagon to oppose the preaching of the gospel. They didn't just know what unlocked that. That Demetrius was interested in his wealth, and the craftsmen were interested in their wealth. That's what got the thing started. So, now they're all confused. The people don't even know why they're there. They're just happy to be angry. Boy, if that doesn't reflect the world today, the world's just happy to be angry. Let's be angry at anything. Uh, let's get all stirred up about, about something and then you'll find a bunch of people confused. They don't even know. Well, you, you, if you ask, well, what, what, why are you here? What, what started this? Well, I don't know. I'm just angry. So then a reasonable man comes on the scene. Now, it's interesting. At the beginning of Paul's ministry, I was at, where are those reasonable men? But lately in the ministry of Paul, there's been, just, there's been some reasonable men. We saw it in Athens. Man stood up on behalf of Paul. We find here again, and this man, although his, his name is not given, his title is given, he is the town clerk. So notice verse 35, And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is worshiper of the goddess Diana, of the image which fell down from Jupiter? And so uh, the town clerk here, uh, it seems like an unimportant position, but it's not like we think about town clerk too. We think a town clerk is someone who, someone says something and someone just records what happens. That, that's not what this man was. This man was probably a representative or an ambassador of a high and powerful position in the city of Ephesus. So in the sense that if you had, like, let's say, and it's different, the, the, the dynamics then, but let's say you had the mayor of the city of Ephesus. That's not how they work, but 
the town clerk would be the one who would go, the mayor himself would not go out and talk to the people, but he would send an ambassador on his behalf. That would be the town clerk, this man. In other words, when he speaks here, people listen. I mean, there's rage, but when people see him, they stop raging. By the way, that man being the town clerk is going to dismiss the people, dismantle the crowd, and they're all going to go home. So this man was a representative of a high position in the city of Ephesus, or even it could have been in the region of Asia there. And the, the clerk makes the following points. And I think they're interesting because, again, they're here in the Bible. God gives us the points of the town clerk so that we say, well, what, what is it that, how did he dissipate the crowd? Well, first of all, he mentions that the city's reputation had not changed. In other words, he, he basically tells the people, why, why are you raging? He says, the, the city of Ephesus is, uh, verse 35, What man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the goddess Diana? Basically what he says is nothing's changed. Like, the temple is still there. Demetrius, you still have your business. Paul didn't shut down your business. Paul didn't tear down the temple of Diana. Uh, Ephesus is still known to be a worshiper of Diana. Nothing has changed. For you, why why are you upset? And I think it's a great point today because somehow some people think that because Christianity exists today that it ought to be dismantled, it ought to be done away with. Why? Because they're opposing and they're destroying everything. And we say, well, what have we destroyed? Well, I don't know. Nothing's been destroyed. What what do you want, Demetrius? You want to force people to buy the shrines? Is is that the type of business you want? You want to... No. So the city's reputation had not changed. But then he says also that uh, the the people were behaving irrationally. Uh, He says, um, verse 36, Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rationally. Well, here's somebody to bring uh, stability to the conversation. Why are you all angry about? The temple is still there. People are still worshiping Diana. People are still buying the shrines. What's the big deal? You're behaving irrationally. And and let me me just put this here forward for you, that often people think that Christians are the irrational ones. They're unreasonable. They don't think rationally. Well, I think in the book of Acts, you find it clearly that actually the unbelievers were the irrational ones. The ones that lost their minds over what? Somebody just preaching the gospel. Then the third point he makes in that, and that is the, he says that the accusations were unfounded. Uh, Notice he says, um, For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. So he says, why are, who, who, well, it's Gaius and Aristarchus. Why did you bring these men here? Uh, why have you brought them? In other words, whatever accusation they had, he said, it was not anything that the city got involved in. They're not robbers. They're, they're not blasphemers uh, of, your, of your goddess. What have they said? What is the accusation? Or specifically, what is the crime? What is the crime? 
So the accusations were unfounded. Uh, I like this town clerk. He's, he's very good. Then he mentions in verse 38, Wherefore, if Demetrius and, the, Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let him implead one another. So basically he says, you can take him to court. Demetrius, if you have an issue, take Gaius and Aristarchus to court. We have a law system around here. Uh, go through the legal process. So he basically says to the crowd, hey, the legal process has been ignored. We have a legal process. Go through the legal process. If something has been done against you, something has harmed you, then take him through the legal channels. Then, he mentions in verse 39, But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. Now, why would he say? Well, he's basically saying that, now remember, it is in Asia Minor, but all of, around the Mediterranean, all the nations around there were under the Roman control. Now, if Ephesus enjoyed what you would refer to as a free city, so they were free. Just like you remember, Paul said he was born free. He was born in Tarsus. Tarsus was also a free city. So Rome would deem certain city to be free, to be self-governing. But if Rome hear that there is a stir going on and there's riots in the city, Rome would come in and step in. And so the town clerk basically says, do you want to lose your freedom to Rome? You want Rome to hear of all the rumblings of how you're, you're taking the law in your own hands and you're becoming a law to yourself? You want Rome to come in and step in here? Well, everybody would say, well, no, 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 we don't want, we don't want that. We don't want that. And so he says, We are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this conquest. In other words, there is no reason why this gathering of people has happened. There is no, at least there's no valid reason. Okay. Remember what, why, why, why did they get stirred up? Initially because of wealth. Bunch of people got in on it. They didn't really know why. They just know that they were against the gospel. Even if it was good. So I just have a simple question today for us as we think about that message. Is there any record of Paul? And I'm really asking you to, to cause you to think. Do you think that Paul stood outside of the store of Demetrius with a little sign that said, don't buy shrines to the goddess Diana. False god. Don't buy shrines to the goddess Diana. False gods. Do you, do you think he did that? No. I, I don't think Paul was a picketer. I don't think he did that. I really don't think as well that he petitioned the city to try to get the temple Diana shut down. I don't think he went to the town court personally and said, hey, uh, look, I think all these people, look, they're involved in an immoral lifestyle and they're doing all this bad stuff. You really need to shut down uh, this whole temple worship. You need to shut down the temple of Diana. You need to do all that. And so I don't think he picketed anything. I don't think he petitioned the government. You don't want to know what he did? You know what he did? He preached the word of God. 
I have a simple question. What do we think is going to change our society today? It's not going to be picketing against anything. It's not going to be petitioning the government. It's going to be preaching the Word of God. Now, that's what those in the world said. That's what they said. That's the, they've persuaded and they've turned away the people by their preaching. So what do we believe is the answer today? Now let me, let me just be very clear. I, I'm not against uh, somebody going to an abortion clinic and, and picketing against abortion. Uh, I, I am not against that, me personally. I'm not against that. I'm not against petitioning the government when we had COVID and they shut down the churches. I personally wrote to our representative and to our governor. And, and so I got involved as far as I could. But what, what I'm telling you is that's not the answer and that's not going to change anybody. What's going to change? The preaching of the word. That's the conclusion that those in the world make. You see, I, I fear that you know, we, because we live in America, we are, we are trusting in politician, in the polit- uh, some political movement to awaken people. And I tell you that there will never be a political movement that's going to awaken anybody. But the Word of God can do what man cannot do. So, you know, I say, let's be involved and uphold righteousness in the nation. But that's not where our hope is. What's going to change the hearts and the mind of people is when they're persuaded by the Word of God and they turn away. Why? Because they hear what the Word of God says. That's what's going to make a difference. So let's have our confidence in the Lord, in His Word, and deem and understand that it is sufficient. That's why Paul said in Romans 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God. Do we trust that power? I I heard a preacher say this, so it didn't originate with me. Either the gospel has lost its power or we are not giving it. Are we trying to change society? Either the, the gospel has lost its power, it's not effective anymore. God's not working anymore. His word is not at work anymore. Or we're simply not giving it. I think the problem is maybe we're not giving it as we ought. And therein lies the problem. God's not the problem. His word's not the problem. But maybe those who are engaged in delivering it have either failed or are not taking it as seriously as they ought.